Welcome to Bioethics on Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. In 2018, the United States Catholic Bishops revised Part 6 of the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Healthcare Services, or ERDs. Part 6 is titled, Collaborative Arrangements with Other Healthcare Organizations and Providers, and it addresses situations where Catholic healthcare institutions or systems merge with non-Catholic entities. Our guest today, Dr. John Berhaney, Director of Institutional Relations for the National Catholic Bioethics Center, discusses the revised Part 6 in light of a commentary on it that the NCBC published in the January 2019 edition of Ethics and Medics. In this podcast, the second in a three-part series, Dr. Brahaney begins by explaining why Part 6 was revised and how the revisions were made in light of guidance provided by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He then comments on the newly written introduction and explores Directive 67 through 77 in detail. John, hello, and thank you for joining us for the second podcast. Well, it's great to be back, Joe. In our first interview, we focused on giving an overview of the ethical and religious directives. In this podcast, we are going to be focusing specifically on Part 6 and the, uh, the 2018 revision to Part 6. So just really briefly, John, can you uh, tell us what is Part 6 of the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Healthcare Services, or ERDs? Uh, for whom is it written, and what topics does it address? Okay, so it's, um, as we discussed the last time, there are now six parts to the ERDs. Uh, that that six-part structure was created in 1994. Uh, at that time, the the sixth part was brand new. Uh, those such topics had never been addressed before. Um, and it is now titled Collaborative Arrangements with Other Healthcare Organizations and Providers. Uh, interestingly enough, the very title of the part uh, has changed uh, in 2018 um, from what it was in uh, 1994 and I think remained through um, 2001, and it referred to new partnerships. So not a big change, but in fact, uh, a real change in the title. And the topics it addresses uh, are essentially cooperation at the organizational level. I think a lot of this started with hospitals, sometimes one hospital cooperating with another hospital in a, it could be a big city, could be a, you know, a smaller town. Um, but now I, I think the scale of this cooperation has gotten even bigger. You know, it might be uh, an entire system uh, cooperating with another system. It might be, uh, you know, like a, a national level or regional level uh, insurance company or physicians group uh, cooperating with, you know, the regional uh, facilities of a Catholic healthcare system. So, uh, and of course, in addition to the cooperation itself, it addresses the role of bishops. Uh, it addresses the impact 
of these uh, very high-level, uh, very large cooperative arrangements on the faithful, uh, on on the, the faith of, of individuals and of communities. So it's covering those kinds of topics. Uh, we stated last time that the ERDs, above all, apply to the leaders of Catholic health care organizations, those responsible for the organization itself. Uh, and of course, are useful to to individual providers and even patients. In this case, uh, this section, again, because of the scale of the cooperation, is probably going to be most relevant uh, for the highest levels of senior leadership uh, at the level of the local facility or institution, uh, increasingly uh, at the system office, and for bishops. Uh, I would say not only as individuals, uh, but sometimes working together uh, on a state-level basis or a regional basis uh, or something like that. So just, just a, a bit of an overview. This is really a unique part of the ERDs. So the NCBC has published a commentary on the 2018 revision of Part 6 in the February 2019 edition of its Ethics and Medics. Why did the NCBC do this? Well, I, I think there um, we were fortunate uh, as an institution uh, to be involved as a partner or participant in the process of revision. Um, we we got to see the whole thing from some of the expressions of initial concern to the first draft to, and I I probably lost count of uh, some of the drafts all the way to the end, and. Um, you know, actually, uh, I could point to some large-scale changes in the text in the sense that there's there's a lot more of it. But it's, I think, um, given the nature of the ERDs, that it's really, a, um, they're not too long. It's a very dense distillation of, of moral principles, magisterial teaching, prudential guidance. Sometimes it can be hard to pick up. Uh, on what changes have been made, and, and then to understand why they are significant. And we wanted to get out something that was readable, not too long. Of course, Ethics and Medics is our, our newsletter-level uh, ethics journal. and uh, But just something that would give people an overview uh, as to what the most basic changes are, and and again at at an introductory level what they mean. So we just wanted to to alert people, I would say, to the basics of the changes. So in the commentary, the NCBC states that the revision to Part Six came about largely as a result of the 2012 transformation of Catholic Health West into Dignity Health. Can you give us some background about this merger and explain why it it triggered this revision. Yeah, and I think we uh, I think we said it it was an event. Uh, maybe it's hard to know uh, everything else, but Catholic Health West was uh, a major Catholic health system uh, in the western part of the United States. One uh, phenomenon uh, that you can see in Catholic health care 
If you go back to the, um, even dating prior to the later 1970s and into the 1980s, what you used to have was a bunch of Catholic hospitals that were started by congregations of sisters, and they'd go from, you know, city to city, and uh, sometimes there'd, there'd be a, a whole string along a major uh, transportation route or, of course, up and down uh, the cities of a state like California. But things were so local. Uh, that they really functioned almost independently. And uh, again, so many changes in healthcare from the financial to the technological to the, um, you know, to uh, the ability to gather and keep track of information. The first thing that began to happen was that all these independents used to be, would they be gathered into, uh, you know, an, to a system of an order? And then those systems began to combine with systems. Catholic Health West um, was a merger of lots of individual independent hospitals, and then they took in hospitals from other systems. They created kind of a network that went up and down the West Coast. And at one time, not only did they acquire Catholic hospitals, they acquired community hospitals. These were secular. They might have been started either by investors or even by a, you know, a city or municipality and hard to operate independently. So they would buy them out. And evidently what happened is it was hard to get them to follow all of the ERDs. And they certainly would uh, prohibit them from doing abortion, and of course, years ago, euthanasia was not legal or even considered ethical. Um, but the issue of tubal ligations, you know, those kinds of things, they, they sometimes couldn't get these people to buy into it, so they were let it, letting them uh, do them. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And eventually, this got to be an issue with some bishops in some cities uh, on the West Coast. And at some point, and I don't know what it looked like from the inside, but from the outside, it looked pretty sudden. All of a sudden, Catholic Health West transformed from a Catholic system of, I think it was 40-some hospitals, uh, mo most of which, the majority were Catholic. They transformed themselves into a secular system called Dignity. Uh, and the system then was no longer Catholic. And then the the secular system owned both secular hospitals and Catholic hospitals. And of course, they let the Catholic hospitals be faithful. And then the secular hospitals, of course, could be secular. And it, it did happen suddenly. It created quite a stir. The NCB also states in the commentary that uh, an important source for the Part 6 revision was a 2014 document from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, or the CDF, and the document was titled, Some Principles for Collaboration with Non-Catholic Entities in the Provision of Healthcare Services. We'll refer to it as the CDF Principles. So briefly, why did the CDF promulgate this document, and what does it instruct? Well, one way to get the, uh, the CDF to say something, you know, it is uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the highest... Uh, uh, apart from the Pope himself when he speaks ex cathedra or a council of the entire church, which of course happen uh, on average maybe once every hundred and so years, um, it is the, the highest teaching authority of the church which safeguards faith and morals. And one way to get them to respond to a, a dilemma or a question about 
whether something's moral is to send them a formal question. Of course, not everybody gets to do that. We field email questions and telephone questions here at the NCBC, but really it's only bishops, you know, who can put these formal questions uh, called dubia to the CDF. And then, you know, uh, at some point in time, uh, they respond, and that's called a responsum. And uh, that response can be considered an authoritative form of teaching. So the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, they were looking at this, and they were looking at all kinds of other major, major deals going on in healthcare, especially after the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And they sent a formal question to Rome, and they said they were concerned about this, and they weren't sure, you know, was it licit would be one way of putting it? Was it ethical? I mean, what what considerations should guide decisions like this in the future? Uh, again, because it seemed to happen sort of suddenly. And the CDF, uh, about a year later, uh, which is actually pretty fast uh, by Rome time, uh, sent, a, <laughs> sent a response. And um, and this response, uh, you read the title of it, Some Principles for Collaboration uh, with Non-Catholic Entities. Um, it wasn't that long. It was about four pages long. And uh, it had some interesting introductory material for about a page or so. And then it had 17 numbered principles of guidance. In fact, it almost resembles uh, a little ERD part, ERD, I guess. Yeah. 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 You know, it almost would look that way. Um, and uh, in I, I think there's value in um, both the, the preamble, that introductory material, uh, and then in these 17 numbered paragraphs of guidance. So very briefly, it restated uh, the definitions and the most fundamental considerations regarding uh, what's called formal and material cooperation and scandal as these apply in these, um, you know, in the area of healthcare delivery where you're not talking about an individual cooperating with another individual, but an organization with another organization. And then in 17 principles, they tried to provide principled guidance uh, that, that addressed a whole series of issues surrounding these, these large-scale um, collaborative arrangements. They go beyond partnerships. It goes, you know, sort of much further than a joint venture, you know, or an agreement to share services. And, um, it's pretty complicated. I, I don't think we have time to, you know, almost go through and summarize all of its teachings. What ends up happening, though, is uh, two things, really. Uh, as we work through the directives, there, there'll be times when I'll say, boy, the, the bishops took this, you know, material, or they took a principle, or they, they took a concern from the CDF, and they certainly took most of it. Um, but uh, they, they couldn't, maybe, and didn't take all of it. And yet what they do uh, in the very title of the document, the very title of the part, uh, there's a footnote. And the footnote is a reference to the CDF principles. So they incorporate the document uh, by reference, and then they end up uh, in various ways drawing on it to enhance their own guidance uh, about these collaborative arrangements. 
Just a, a clarity question. Um, did this, Well, the CDF principles came about because of the dubia that was sent by the U.S. Catholic bishops. Was the dubia from the U.S. bishops sent primarily because of the Catholic Health West dignity merger, or was that just a part of a, a, a larger set of circumstances that were going that was going on in Catholic healthcare. You know, um, both. I would say, uh, well, and I say both because I I believe the dubia actually references this very deal. You know, in in other words, it wasn't uh, just generally, geez, Catholic, uh, you know, healthcare in the United States is getting even more complex, even more expensive, even more integrated. You know, give us some help. Uh, this this was actually named, and um, and then the other thing I would say is uh, I, I was aware myself, uh, and back then I think it would have been in my role uh, as executive director of the Catholic Medical Association. Uh, you know the bishops had uh, other concerns about what Catholic healthcare was doing. I I remember a state where a large Catholic system, which wasn't headquartered in the state. And that's again a newer phenomenon. These these Catholic systems are so big, they are in scores of dioceses and maybe up to scores of states, or certainly ten, fifteen, twenty states, and they're making decisions at the system level that impact a distant state, city, and diocese. Well, anyway, this this uh, system bought a secular health insurance company. And then, you know, created their own health insurance product, which, because of insurance regulations, you know, they had to provide health insurance for procedures uh, and drugs and devices, you name it, that contradict the teachings of the church. And this bishop was really upset. But, you know, he was actually a fairly long flight away from system headquarters. So I think there were there were issues out there like that, you know, I mean, not only... Uh, not, again, not only the one deal, probably some other deals, and then a climate, uh, if you will, of um, you know, of, of concern about the size, the complexity, and all of those things. Well, let's shift our discussion to the revised text of Part Six, um, the introduction, and then the new directives, sixty-seven through seventy-seven. So, first question: What did the U.S. bishops change in the introduction to the revised Part Six? Well, uh, there may be a couple of ways to slice this. Um, and for some reason, I'm a bit of a numbers guy, but they nearly doubled the length of the introduction. So if you were to say, uh, what's different? The first thing you'd have to say is the introduction is it's almost longer. twice. Yeah, it's almost twice as long. And where did that come from? And um, in part, it came from the fact that they now spell out, they actually define and describe a bit um, the the definition and, and terms of application of formal uh, formal cooperation in evil, material cooperation in evil, and some considerations regarding theological scandal. In a past uh, edition of the ERDs, they, they reference these principles. In fact, they say, you know, you ought to consult reputable authors, i.e. reputable moral theologians, on the meaning of these terms and the application of these terms. But here they literally bring the definitions into the text. And um, even with theological scandal, it used to be mentioned in a directive number, and it still is, but they brought 
and they actually take two paragraphs to discuss theological scandal and bring that into the introduction. So part of it is uh, an increased size, and it's because they're bringing in, you could say it's traditional content, but I, I think it's significant that they they wanted to make that available to everybody. I mean, so, so there's that. I think um, the other thing you can see is maybe a bit of a change uh, in, in a healthy way, a bit of a change in how the bishops, how the leaders of the church are, are assessing this issue of partnerships, because it was brand new in 1994, and I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's just been a whole series of changes over the last 25 to 30 years. Uh, what you can see in past editions is they would start with some positive things about the, well, it's a, it's a fact, you know, healthcare is changing, healthcare is integrating, you name it. Uh, it's not independent and local and, and all of that like it used to be. Um, okay, what are some of the positive things? And they would say, well, here are three positive things. And, um, you know, it might help to uh, keep some Catholic healthcare ministries afloat. It might help to, in a sense, bring out or display um, the unique contribution of, of Catholic organizations. So they give three positives and then three negatives. You know, hey, this may, this may threaten, um, you know, the survival uh, of Catholic health care. This may actually um, bring Catholic health care organizations into unethical situations of cooperating in evil, and this may scandalize people. I mean, this, this may, in a sense, um, undermine people's faith. And so in the new version, they actually list several good effects uh, of cooperation and, and only one bad effect, which relates to the fact that it might lead to unethical cooperation and evil. I've seen some people say that this constitutes a much more positive approach. I think that's fair. Um, you know, another thing that's sort of interesting and it comes out in our commentary is that in, uh, in the past editions of Part 6, and, and this is actually the third, because there was an original edition in 1994, uh, within five years, the CDF said, hey, there are some real problems with that. You must change it. So they changed it. That got published in 2001. And of course, now the third change is 2018. But in those first two editions, they were referring to some of their own measures to help Catholic healthcare organizations. They established an ad hoc committee uh, to help provide moral guidance. And then they would reference it was this appendix in the, uh, the 1994 edition that gave these thoughts on a very close form of cooperation. Uh, well, they, they issued that in 1994. In 2001, they had to come back and say, well, that appendix was flawed. Uh, we, we still have our healthcare subcommittee, but uh, d you know, disregard that appendix. This time, they don't talk about an appendix. They don't even mention the healthcare subcommittee. I guess it's well enough established. So all that talk of history, all that talk of, well, we're doing this and we're doing that to help you, it's gone, which I take uh, as a sign that their, their theological stance, their comfort level, if you will, their fundamental orientation is getting more stable. Uh, so all these things uh, come through in the introduction.
Let's uh, run through the directives uh, kind of thematically. So directives 67, 68, and 69 uh, address the role of the diocesan bishop in the establishment of collaborative arrangements. What do these directives say? So when we talk about these uh, directives, 67, uh, 68, and 69, all three of them are really focused on the role of diocesan bishops in collaborative arrangement. And 67 essentially uh, articulates that the bishop has the ultimate responsibility and, and the ultimate authority to assess whether a collaborative arrangement um, can happen in his diocese. Um, and what is he supposed to assess? Uh, they say three things. Um, wrongful cooperation, so the principles of cooperation, uh, whether it would give scandal, theological scandal, or undermine the church's witness. So it mentions three things that the bishop ought to be paying attention to. And um, The second uh, directive in the set, that's number 68, uh, talks about the fact, and this is really directed at people in Catholic health care, that when they are um, when they're putting something together, these deals are very complex, and of course you get preliminary talks and you get first drafts. But when this thing is coming together, they have a duty to involve the bishop to consult him in a timely manner, and then he should give the appropriate level of approval. That's what 68 uh, is all about. There's a sense in which I would say that is is largely uh, traditional material, although rearranged in, in sort of place and, and, and the way the paragraph is put together. Um, it references the fact that more and more Catholic systems are governed now not by religious congregations of women anymore, but by a, a kind of a, an ecclesiastical uh, corporation called a, a juridic person or public juridic person. So that's referenced in there. And then 69, the third uh, directive regarding bishops in the set refers to something new, and this this is actually uh, a brand new directive, and this comes right out of the CDF, and it references the fact that I alluded to back just in discussing you know that whole Catholic Health West and and that other that other case I was aware of the fact that. Um, now, so many, so many of these little local hospitals and systems are governed by uh, a system, and the system's headquarters might be in a state and city and archdiocese far away uh, from all the other places. And, and yet, that system can engage in a, in a very large-scale act of collaboration, again, buying um, you know, an insurance product, uh, you know, some sort of major collaborative arrangement with uh, another healthcare system or for uh, lines of business, like being in what's called an accountable care organization where they try to bring all kinds of providers and a, kind of a more organized way of not only providing uh, healthcare, but also getting paid for that. Anyway, uh, what's the role of the bishop in that that little city, uh, you know, 500 miles away from the system headquarters? And what Directive 69 says, and it says this very strongly, it's the responsibility of the diocesan bishop 
in each diocese where this collaborative arrangement is is going to be effective to approve that locally. Uh, so that's the first thing it says. The next thing it says is that the bishop or archbishop where the headquarters is at has a, a special role. You know, he's really supposed to try to to bring people together to kind of coordinate uh, these decisions, maybe try to help them moving along, and that the bishops all ought to be working together because these healthcare systems are trying to get things done. You know, they're trying to get deals signed. So they, you know, they, they, they should work together in a coordinated way. But it's, it's a new thing, and it refers to this potential disjunction between, you know, the, the organizational authority uh, in a given, again, state, city, diocese, and that other locality where uh, that collaborative arrangement is going to have an impact. So let me ask you a question that you, you may not be able to answer, and, and it's it's an unfair question. So so the direct, Directive 69 is addressing the situation where, okay, so the NCBC is located in Philadelphia. Let's say there's a large Catholic healthcare system that's headquartered here in Philadelphia. There aren't any, so I'm just, you know, just want to let everyone know that. But let's say there were, and this system owned a hospital, a small hospital, a small Catholic hospital in, well, where you used to live in Sioux City, Iowa. Now, Directive 69 says that the bishop or the Archbishop of Philadelphia and the Bishop of Sioux City, Iowa, um, you know, should be talking and, you know, if there's a collaborative arrangement here. But what happens if there's disagreement between the bishops? And the, and the, the ERD, the directive doesn't address that. But I, I just from your perspective, what would happen if, if a bishop, say the bishop in Sioux, uh, Sioux City, Iowa, doesn't agree with the collaborative arrangements and disagrees with the bishop, Archbishop of Philadelphia or bishops in the other diocese where they where the system is operating yeah well it's uh i mean that's a very <laughs> practical question i think um it it might be uh let's just say that they were working with a medical records company um to uh they took on a government contract let's say to provide so much health care and then they needed uh like a medical records and billing company if you will to um uh you know to provide so much of that logistical support and that company insisted uh because it was following all federal laws rules and regulations that they had to collect data on sterilizations and and all sorts of things and and you couldn't hold this information back or something like that um I mean, that's just total hypothetical. The point is, um, it, it may be, uh, it could be that, uh, that, that Sioux City location wouldn't be providing data. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I guess what I would hope is if a particular bishop, um, said, hey, I think there's a problem and, uh, and maybe the other guys are too, the other bishops, they're, they're too busy to notice or, or they didn't realize it or something like that. But I can tell you there's a problem here that's going to give rise to theological scandal. Well, like I said, one thing is that deal might not be effective in the locality. I guess that's one possibility. The other is that the input of that bishop may improve the whole deal. Uh, and I, I guess I'd like to see that happen. I think you and I were talking uh, 
uh, to a, a healthcare lawyer, or you know, about a, a certain program in healthcare where uh, state law in one state affected a system, and they just decided to to take the the impact of that law and just take it national because it, it was easier. You know, they didn't want to have a, an anomaly in in one state. So. Uh, you know, how these things turn out, I couldn't tell you, but I guess it's possible either that the deal wouldn't be effective or maybe the entire program, the entire collaborative arrangement would be improved. So directive, uh, moving on, Directive 70 through 72 address traditional parameters for establishing or, or monitoring collaborative arrangements. What are these parameters? Yeah, you know, and... Um, I think the reason we put it that way in the commentary is is the last five directives now in uh, part six all more or less come out of the CDF guidelines and they, they really weren't in part six before, whereas these directives 70, 71, 72, um, they're, they're part either of the ERDs as they existed in 1994 or uh, as revised uh, the first time in 2001. So Directive 70 states very specifically that Catholic health care organizations cannot, must not, engage in immediate material cooperation in intrinsically evil acts, uh, including uh, abortion, euthanasia, uh, assisted suicide, and direct sterilization. the 71 deals with the need to address the issue of theological scandal. So this is a, a traditional consideration. Uh, it's a complex topic. Uh, I always try to tell people it doesn't mean uh, that, that you get notorious or embarrassing press coverage. <laughs> that is not the kind of scandal, you know, the Hollywood starlet or the politician in the fountain or whatever that is. Uh <laughs> But rather, what it refers to is, uh, this comes right out of the book of Rome, uh, you know, Paul's letter to the Romans. It's the fact that someone's doing something that may be legitimate. It may be legitimate. However, it may help to undermine the faith of other people. I mean, in a way, it may confuse them, not that they... Um, yeah, not in a way that's their their fault. And you know, there there are people who go around looking looking for reasons to be outraged. And so, it, you know, theological scandal doesn't mean just because someone is outraged, then you've done something wrong either. You know, so it's a complex. This is really a complex theological notion. But uh, anyway, all I can say is it's it's a traditional consideration. They they beefed up the language uh, a little bit. Uh, so I, I think it was it was more or less there was a, a paragraph. In fact, I think the same number, 71 in the last thing. And now they beefed it up. And uh, I'll just mention quickly that one of the additions they made to it is not only whether you would give theological scandal. And that means you're really doing something illegitimate that is confusing people and undermining their faith. It references as well the consideration of whether the church's teaching might be undermined. So uh, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit more to the text, but otherwise it's a traditional consideration. And then ERD 72, the third you know, quasi-traditional consideration, this was actually added in 2001. It was part of the improvement of the original, you know, big new directive uh, set of uh, framework for the ERDs. 
This references the fact that the Catholic partner in a collaborative relationship has a duty to periodically assess whether the terms of the arrangement are being uh, faithfully observed, faithfully implemented, you name it. You can't just, you know, sign an agreement, say, in the year 2000, and it's 15 years later, and you've never gone back and and monitored it. Uh, So there is that consideration, and just like the paragraph before it, it it basically says about the same thing, but they beefed it up again with, you know, you ought to assess it in light of what? The natural moral law, that's an introduction. Catholic teaching, they had said that before, and canon law. So they, they added a couple of more authorities to consider by way of this thing uh, being faithfully followed. I'd like to go back to Directive 70 very quickly. Um, In the commentary, the NCBC made the point that Directive 70 remained unchanged in the revised Part 6, and in fact, it's the only directive in in, in Part 6 that remained unchanged. Why is this significant? Yeah, you know, and it... um... It was really interesting when we we came across that and realized it because uh I tell you um the there was there were many 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 changes in text from the year 2001 edition of the ERDs to 2018 of course multiple changes in drafts along the way and and then directive 70 almost stands out you know as this this mountain that didn't move right i mean it's like everything moves around it but it doesn't move and i i think that's significant, and and we all did. So Directive 70, and I I read it before, um, but it addresses the issue of immediate material cooperation in intrinsically evil actions. This was a topic, it really arose in the 90s, and what was happening was you have, let's just say, two hospitals in a city, uh, like I used to live in Sioux City, Iowa, not a big city. It had two hospitals. Actually, this never happened there. The two hospitals never got together. But in a small city, they say, hey, you know, we, we're duplicating health care. You know, we're raising costs. You know, it's not good for people. Why don't we combine things? And what was happening is people would say, well, we don't need two birthing centers. You know, we only need one. And it turns out, as it often did, that the Catholic hospital was the best birthing center. You know, I mean, the highest quality and the most people. And they'd say, well, okay, we're only going to have one birthing center in this city. Um, but, you know, tubal legation after cesarean section is a pretty popular, pretty common uh, a surgery for a lot of women, either after their second or third child or after a certain age. Uh, you know, they want to get their tubes tied. And what people began to run into right away, they'd say, wait a minute, you know, how can we have this joint venture? How can we consolidate our services? Because everybody wants the Catholic institution to continue, and, and they want them to handle the births. But believe me, the women in this city must have the, uh, you know, this access to this form of direct sterilization. So some moral theologians got together and they had a theory. And this theory found its way into an appendix uh, to this, uh, to Part 6, to the 1994 ERDs. And it essentially said, well, listen, and I'm simplifying here, so I, it's complex, but i got to simplify for the purpose of a podcast. You know, if, if someone... Um, 
you know, you got a, a guy working in a bank and a robber comes in and he says, give me your money. The guy says, well, it's locked in the safe. I'm helpless. And he says, well, open the safe. And the guy says, well, I'm not going to do that. And he puts the, the gun right up to the guy's chest or head. And he says, either give me the combination or open the safe. What happens? Well, the guy probably starts sweating, right? He's, his heart rate goes up. He's scared to death. He's under pressure. And and likely he's going to provide, uh, he's going to cooperate, and he really is cooperating. Um, but but a good priest or a good moral theologian would say, your action actually helped the bank robber get what he wanted. It was a robbery, but you were under duress. You were not thinking straight. You were overcome by fear. So you are not culpable, subjectively speaking. You know there were factors that that caused you to do that and it was not a free and informed act well they took that notion and they said well if the organization is under pressure to survive then in some cases a an institution could engage in immediate material cooperation essentially that means well, technically, they don't will it, they don't agree with it, so it's not formal cooperation, but they are literally bound up in the very terms of the act because it's their birthing unit, their surgical suite, maybe their personnel, their building, you know, you name it. They're really closely involved with the very nature of the immoral act. And they say, but they're under duress. And that's the, that's the thing that got in there. So this directive number, number 70, is the directive that in uh, 2001 was brand new, and it addressed this issue in a couple ways. Just very briefly, it stated very clearly that they cannot do this and gave examples, the kinds of things that likely would come up in a healthcare setting. And then in a footnote, which also did not change, or an endnote, I guess you should say, an endnote, it gave the source of this teaching, which was uh, a speech of Pope John Paul II. Um, it uh, quoted uh, a, an authoritative instruction from the CDF that said there's no way that Catholic hospitals could cooperate in direct sterilizations and, of course, in intrinsically evil actions. So, you know, the upshot is, uh, I think, given all the things that changed around it, the fact that this directive didn't change, I, I think it just reflects its significance, its applicability, uh, both the moral principle and, you know, the very subject matter, if you will, uh, that's still an issue in healthcare today. So moving on, Directive 73 through 77 contain new guidance taken from the CDF principles regarding the creation, the maintenance, and or the dissolution of, a, of collaborative arrangements. What specific guidance is given in these directives? Uh, 73, um, it almost gets into some of the issues we just mentioned a bit that we covered in uh, Directive 70, but it has to do with um, before entering into any kind of, again, complex collaborative arrangement, a Catholic institution must ensure, and I'm not going to read it, but it's essentially adequate moral separation from any 
uh, moral evil going on. So, in other words, it, its administrators cannot manage or govern any of these procedures. Its facilities can't be made available. Employees can't carry it out. Financially, they have to be separate. It um, it just defines with a with a new level of authority, specificity, you name it, that um, there cannot be immediate cooperation, I guess, in a whole set of other areas and, and not just, you know, the operating room, but like I said, the financing, the governance, the management, anything. Um, 74 actually articulates something that the NCBC uh, has has been defending for a long time, and it essentially says when two organizations collaborate, and sometimes, you know, they form a new corporation uh, or something like that, uh, sometimes they don't, but if they do, that the entire collaborative arrangement itself cannot perform, can't do what one of the, the you know the partners couldn't do ethically. So, in other words, if the Catholic organization, the partner in this collaborative arrangement, cannot do direct sterilization, then they can't join in a collaborative arrangement, you know, in which they're a controlling partner, and but then have the, you know, the collaborative arrangement do the direct sterilizations. That's what it's trying to say. Um, 75 sort of um, unpacks that a little bit, because you might say, uh, well, the, the whole thing can't do it. In other words, the final product, the final organization, corporation, whatever that is, and Director 75 gets at the issue of, well, not only can the final product not do it, but the Catholic organization cannot contribute to establishing, you know, the thing. In other words, even if somehow in, in the end result they weren't in control, they can't help even to create something that would do it. Um, so those three things, I would say, are, are almost a, a distinct set of of new uh, i think that the cdf tried to um again address complexity uh the frequency the the large impact of these things it seems to me those things are a set there 76 addresses an issue of board governance so sometimes and i i've heard a couple of these cases um, a large secular system will take over a small Catholic system. A small Catholic system might have one hospital, three hospitals. They'll take them over um, in toto. You know, they'll just take them over. Now, it, it can be a win-win in that, um, you know, the whole system, in a sense, gets more facilities, you know, they can serve a patient population. If they have an electronic health record system, they can deploy it over a greater area, all kinds of stuff. And the Catholic system may get access to an electronic health record system that otherwise they would have had to buy and develop and do all that stuff. Um, now, one issue that comes up often, that little system will get a seat on the board of the, the larger corporation in part, well, there's a bit of respect there, I get, but maybe in part so they can protect their own interests, you know. So now, once that happens, and that Catholic representative is on the board of the secular system, why are they there? Uh, they're, you know, not just because they're they're smart or a good leader or something like that. <laughs> they're there, 
you know, in a sense, as a representative of the Catholic system. It was part of the deal. And now the secular system is governing, operating, you know, providing what? You know, maybe abortions, uh, maybe direct sterilizations, maybe, uh, you know, artificial reproductive procedures, um, you know. And now this person is on the board. And what this Directive 76 gets at is that they must, in a sense, can't just be silent. They certainly can't go along and sort of, you know, vote aye to everything. They actually have to make their opposition known if the system is, is you know, governing something. And, um, and they have to vote against it, you know, so they have to withhold their consent. And uh, Directive 77 finally uh, addresses the fact that, uh, you know, again, systems are supposed to be monitoring these arrangements and not not letting them get out of control. But what happens if, through lack of foresight or lack of adequate oversight, the next thing you know, a contract gets signed or something happens or a new partner joins a system and now a Catholic system is involved, you know, literally in a collaborative arrangement, which is it, it's involved uh, at a, at a, uh, inappropriately in, a, in an arrangement uh, that's doing immoral procedures. And it essentially says that they need to uh, inform the local bishop immediately and resolve the situation as soon as reasonably possible. And this is, there's a lot of prudence involved because some of these deals are very complex and they're set up to operate over years, if not decades. Um, so anyway, that's, that's that set of five things as quick as I can do it. We've heard some people say that the revised part six is, quote, no big deal. Unquote, and that Catholic for Catholic health care with the revised Part Six, it's it's business as usual. Is that is Part Six something new? Um, you know, I I think that um, there are uh, there may be some people who want to emphasize the fact that there's a lot of continuity, you know, and say you know when you get right down to it. Um, and there's some truth to this, you know, as I just said, there's been a lot of rearrangement of traditional material, uh, retention of some things, there's some tr traditional considerations. Sure, there's there's continuity. Uh, but I think there has been some progress. I think there's been some substantial improvement in a way that people ought to sit up and take notice. And uh, very briefly, uh, I would say it, it comes through... Um, in three ways. I mean, one, you can see it, I, I think, and I did mention that there's a, a kind of a, a more stable uh, theological stance of the U.S. bishops, in some respects a more positive stance of the U.S. bishops uh, expressed toward these collaborative arrangements, which are uh, increasingly a necessary fact of life. But there's really a heightened level of concern, which is evident in the CDF principles and which come out in the ERDs in part in the addition of new materials. And those new materials, as I said before, uh, are the addition of formal instruction uh, into the introduction about formal and material cooperation and more material about scandal. Um, 
There is, um, in addition, references to canon law for the first time uh, in Part 6 in, I think it's three places. So there are some new uh, references to authoritative teachings and standards brought in. So the first thing is that level of concern that comes through all of these things. Second, there's a real emphasis on the authority uh, of the local bishop. And, you know, I think I, I uh, missed an opportunity to um, to emphasize that enough. Uh, so right at the end of the introductory section, there's a sentence that reads, while the following directives are offered to assist Catholic healthcare institutions in analyzing the moral considerations of collaborative arrangements. Okay, so they're a tool, they're a help the ultimate responsibility for interpreting and applying these directives rests with the diocesan bishop. So what you get there, I found it very interesting, is a very strong statement about the authority of the local diocesan bishop to interpret and apply the ERDs in his diocese. Now, this had been referenced, if you went back to the general introduction uh, there's a there's kind of an oblique, almost indirect discussion of this. They talk about the local bishop as uh, uh, pastor, uh, prophet, and priest. That kind of that threefold office, and included in that is an office of teacher. But this really comes out, and just and and not only with regard to collaborative arrangements, but with regard to implying, applying, and interpreting the ERDs, a strong statement of authority. That, and again, that's the last thing said in the introduction, the first statement in the first directive after the introduction, number 67, is each diocesan bishop has the ultimate responsibility to assess. So a very strong statement there about his authority. And finally, when we talked about that new issue regarding these multi-state multi-city, multi-diocese uh, systems. Uh, as I said before, the, one of the first points they make there is the local diocesan bishop has to approve the deal to the extent that it's active or effective in his diocese. I think that's a second thing that's new and it reflects a concern about the bishops. And, and the third thing is um, what we think is a, a brand new consideration, and it has to do with a term called witness. Yeah, and that's exactly where we're going to go uh, with the last part of this uh, uh, with this interview. This concludes our first podcast on the revision to Part Six of the Ethical and Religious Directives. In our next interview, Dr. Brahani addresses how witness emerges as a central theme in the newly revised text. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to support them and the National Catholic Bioethics Center as a whole, please click the Donate button on our website. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.